Okay, this is Dr. David White. This is CRIM 305, and we are on to week five on deontological and utilitarian thought. In this week's module, you'll be introduced to two major ethical theories. Deontological, okay, um, and teleological. These are two different uh, main perspectives when we're talking about ethical theories. Uh, to make this more complicated, the two perspectives are known by multiple terms. And so it's important that you know this and uh, as you uh, engage in conversations where people may address these ethical theories or ethical perspectives, uh, know that they are known by different terms. The deontological perspective is also known as Kantian ethics or Kantianism after Immanuel Kant. Uh, some might also refer to it as ethical formalism. Some people may also say absolutism, but sometimes they, that term gets conflated, so I didn't include that necessarily in our terminology here. The second perspective is the teleological perspective, and this is also known as utilitarianism or utilitarian ethics, and because it's primarily concerned with the consequences of action it's also sometimes referred to as consequentialism. I know that's extremely confusing. This is probably just an introduction for you. So um, just something to be aware of, okay, as uh, you start to learn more about ethical theories. At the end of this module, you should have a basic understanding of deontological ethics, a basic understanding of utilitarian or teleological ethics, and be able to compare and contrast these two perspectives. Be able to apply the theoretical perspectives, uh, both of them, to criminal justice context. That's our, that's our hope. In systems of thought, so there's a need to clarify again a few terms uh, before we address these important ethical theories. First, it's important for you to understand that the terms ethics and morals are often used interchangeably. Morals imply our values of right and wrong, and ethics are generally the application or discipline of determining the right course of action, and it defines our sense of duty. Second, as addressed in the earlier modules, keep in mind that ethical dilemmas relate to individual decision-making, uh, decisions between two or more courses of action where, there's a, where the right answer is unclear. Alternatively, ethical issues are those policy-level decisions where society must decide what is the right path. Finally, remember that meta-ethics is the study of ethical systems. Normative ethics apply to what we should or ought to do. Applied ethics refers to the application of ethics in specific situations. And professional ethics relate to the expectations of a particular professional role. I personally uh, do not make wide use of these terms in the course because they're overlapping and they're not mutually exclusive ideas. The series of modules on systems of thought, we will provide a basic overview of the different systems of thought that guide ethical decision making, and these are two primary systems of ethical thought that will be emphasized in the course. Uh, again, this first one comes from the Enlightenment era philosopher Immanuel Kant. 1724 to 1804, his lifespan. Kant's philosophical position to uh, moral decision-making is known as deontological ethics. 
The second system that we'll talk about is also a product of the Enlightenment era, and that is, again, utilitarianism. Deontological ethics, okay, from the Greek duty, uh, deon, uh, uh, and logic, uh, in, in Greek logos, uh, or the science or study of, the study of the duty or moral obligation, emphasizing the intent of the actor as the element of morality without regard for the consequences of the action. Very formal definition that uh, sort of complicates things. Just remember at the most basic level the deontological position believes that if something is wrong it is always wrong. And so there is a tutorial video embedded in the module in order to help you understand this. Again the crash course videos, I know they're so basic, but uh, they are on point. Okay, and so the crash course video that is here on Kant and the categorical imperative. So I encourage you to take a look at that. After you do so, then um, you'll, you'll have a better understanding. But let's review a few of the things that you'll see in the video. That is that morality comes to us through our own intellect. And so Kant actually famous for answering the question, what is enlightenment? And his response was, the freedom to think for ourselves. Two things here, the hypothetical imperatives, this hypothet hypothetical imperatives and categorical imperatives. And so the hypothetical imperatives, they are if-then statements. If I want to succeed in class, then I must study and attend class. That's a hypothetical imperative, and hypothetical imperatives are not the same things as categorical imperatives. Hypothetical imperatives are related to specific intended purposes or outcomes. Categorical imperatives, on the other hand, command action that is necessary without any reference to the intended purpose or consequence. If it is wrong to lie, it is always wrong to lie. If it's wrong to kill, it is always wrong to kill. Categorical imperative requires you to act only in ways uh, or only on maxims, rather, uh, that can be universalized, and that is the, uh, known as the universal law, or otherwise known as the universalizability principle, which means that it should apply to everyone at all times. The easiest way to think about this concept is to consider how you would feel if something was applied to you. For example, I don't want to be lied to, therefore I am opposed to lying, and so I shall not lie to others. My maximum of honesty uh, requires me to be honest under all circumstances. No conditions can make it acceptable then for me to lie. Two key parts of the deontological position. The first is the universalizability principle, and that is if it's wrong, it must always be wrong without exception. The second part uh, of the deontological position is that we are not allowed to use people, including yourself, as a means to an end. So while we use people as a means to something all the time, so long as they agree to being used, we should never use them completely or merely as a means to an end, because it strips away someone's sense of humanity. Okay, so key thing to remember with the deontological position if it's wrong, it should always be wrong.
That's the categorical imperative. Criticisms of this ethical framework. The framework is rigid, and hopefully from the examples provided in the video, you see it sometimes may not seem that practical. In general, ethical formalism uh, ignores the specific context in which ethical dilemmas occur, and therefore it seems unresponsive to the potential logical outcomes. Another criticism is that it may be unclear whether an individual's uh, or unclear where an individual's duty exists, rather. Okay, and so that is, uh, there might be multiple competing duties. In the example given in the video, does an individual's duty to protect the other person trump the duty not to lie? And so, uh, if one duty is higher on the scale of moral responsibility, then does it justify violating another lesser maxim? And in the deontological ethics, it does not. But in utilitarianism, which we'll uh, see addressed next, the ends would justify the means. And there's also imperfect duties. So in ethics, we refer to things known as imperfect duties, which refer to maxims which are not easily defined. For example, we have a general duty to be nice to others, to be generous, uh, or to not be self-centered. But no one can tell us exactly how nice or how generous we should be or where our own self-interest intersects with our need to worry about others. The role of criminal justice agents at all levels often involve imperfect duties, which makes it difficult to apply the deontological perspective. Deontological position is that the ends never justify the means. Kant argues that you cannot control the ends, you can only control the means, and that means should never violate the categorical imperative. Efforts to justify actions that otherwise violate categorical imperatives turn you towards self-interest and make the moral rule subjective or relative. How does the system of thought apply to ethical decision-making in criminal justice? As you have, may have guessed it, uh, it would be difficult to work in criminal justice if you were to purely subscribe to this theory. Simple fact that police officers and some corrections officers have uh, to be morally okay with using deadly force in certain circumstances speaks to the fact that most criminal justice practitioners do not take this ethical position. However, Kant's theory should serve to make us more consciously aware of how, where, and why we bend the rules, uh, make justifications for exemptions of moral rules, or choose one perceived good over the other. Uh, within our bureaucratic framework in criminal justice, we might ask ourselves if organizational policies should always be followed. If not, under what conditions is it acceptable to violate a department policy? Likewise, we might ask questions such as, is it ever okay to lie to a suspect? If you want to know more, I encourage you to check out the podcast that I've embedded on the, the module pages that are from the podcast Philosophize This. And so uh, Stephen West does a great job with those podcasts on Kant and Deontological versus con Consequentialism, which is our other competing perspective, again, is embedded in the module. I encourage you to check that out. Utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is our second big ethical theory. And it's described as a teleological ethical framework. 
Telos is Greek for the ends, and again, Logos is the science of, so it focuses on uh, the desirable end state. That is to say, what does the most good for the most people? Because it focuses on the ends, it is sometimes referred to, again, as consequentialism. It believes, and this is very important, it believes the ends often justify the means. And therefore, it's easily contrasted to the deontological position covered previously. The example of the trolley car. Uh, the picture is provided in the module. If a trolley car was on a path to kill five people, and you could throw the switch and cause the train car to take a different path that would only kill one person, would you do that? This question is sometimes framed as if you could save the entire world by killing one person, would you do it? Regardless of how the question is asked, uh, the concept is sacrificing one for the expense of the group. It's often used to frame and explain utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is primarily associated with two different thinkers, Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill. Uh, they are not partners. A lot of students uh, uh, try to put them together as though they are working together on the same framework. That's not the case. But they are both utilitarian philosophers. And so, uh, again, look at the dates for each one. Just as with uh, um, util or just as with the deontological position, I've embedded another crash course philosophy video on utilitarianism. These things are only just a few minutes long. I encourage you to check them out. They make them very interesting. They're, they're very good quality videos and they do a great job of explaining these ethical theories uh, in ways that are really probably more succinct than what I can prepare for you. Utilitarianism is defined as a moral theory that focuses on the results or consequences of our actions and so treats our intentions as irrelevant. It believes that the greatest good is that which produces the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. Utilitarianism assumes we all seek pleasure and avoid pain. And so does that sound like rational choice theory? It should because Jeremy Bentham is the same figure associated with rational choice theory and rational choice theory is built on the same utilitarian ideals. Okay, You should have been exposed to that. I know my students were in the juvenile delinquency class, any other criminological theory class where you address rational choice theory, you'll have already been exposed to these concepts. The principle of utility. So one key part here is the principle of utility, and that is that we should act uh, always as to produce the greatest good for the greatest number of people. While utilitarianism thinks that we all seek pleasure and avoid pain, it is not necessarily an egoistic theory because it considers itself other regarding. So we should seek pleasure for the group and find the greatest good for the most people. There are two types of utilitarianism, act utilitarianism and rule utilitarianism. In act utilitarianism, Focuses is on the focus is on what is good for the, in a particular act by measuring the greatest good for all, but with no regard for how the decision might apply to future similar decisions. Okay, rule utilitarianism. So in rule utilitarianism, uh, the focus is on living according to general rules that should maximize the amount of good. 
for the majority over time and not necessarily tied to one particular act. And so that's an important distinction. And as we'll see as we get into things, uh, you know, if you're in leadership in a criminal justice organization, if you allow someone to violate policy, you set a precedence. And so uh, that is a form of considering rule utilitarianism. So as you make decisions, you have to be concerned with what type of precedent that sets. And again, that emphasizes sort of that role, or rule utilitarian perspective rather. Criticisms of utilitarian perspective. There are a number of criticisms of this theory. First, when we believe the ends justify the means, we must question how far we would go or what type of means we would employ and for what ends. The problem here is that we can very quickly find ourselves doing something unethical to accomplish what we believe is a necessary ends. Uh, who gets to decide when the unethical nature of our means are no, are no longer outweigh the ethical nature of the proposed ends? This becomes completely subjective. Second, utilitarianism uh, assumes a collectivist spirit. Collectivism is the practice or principle of giving the group priority over the individual's interests. As such, this perspective shows little concern for individual rights. And so what is good for the group is considered good. Let me ask this question. In the introductory example, when you are asked if you would flip a switch so that only one person would die rather than five, would your answer change if that one person was someone very close to you and the five people were complete strangers? Chances are your answer would change to save the one who is close to you and let the five strangers die. A collectivist spirit stands in contrast to individualism, which focuses in an egoistic way on the individual's self-interest. But individuals are naturally self-centered and in today's world, at least in American culture, society is terribly individualistic. And so as collectivism declines and individualism increases, society struggles to both identify the proper ends and to agree on the means. Third criticism is utilitarianism believes that people generally seek pleasure and avoid pain, but this perspective assumes all pleasures and all pains are, are viewed more or less equally by different members of society. Realistically, empirical evidence such as research on rational choice and deterrence theory shows us that this is not true. Uh, people perceive rewards and, and the consequences of breaking the law differently, and they are therefore deterred and motivated differently. Finally, as, as our textbook points out, this perspective presumes the actor uh, can predict the consequences of their action. This is not always true. For example, do you think Officer Darren Wilson knew that when he stopped Michael Brown uh, in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014 that his actions would touch off such a national firestorm of events? Uh, it probably seemed to him like any other uh, possible call a police officer could be on on any given day. Thus, we don't really know the full extent of the consequences of particular action when the decisions are made. And that's sort of a flaw in this theoretical perspective. How does this a theory apply to ethical decision-making in criminal justice? In truth, most people are more utilitarian than uh, Kantian. 
and in how we apply ethical decision making. It would be very difficult to stick to our moral imperatives all the time, ignoring all contextual factors and disregarding what might what we uh, simply call common sense. As a result, decisions are more often based on utility, on a weighing of the consequences based on available options or means. In criminal justice context, officers exercise discretion, uh, their decision-making, right? And so this allows them to make decisions based on contextual factors and the types of decisions they make are often in an effort to create the greatest good for the greatest number of people. They act on society's behalf and society grants them that discretion, relying on their ability to be rational and reasonable in how they apply their powers. However, officers have to be careful not to overreach. One example of that, noble cause corruption. Very important. Noble cause corruption is where individuals believe that the ends of crime fighting, that is, i.e. the noble cause, justifies unethical or even illegal means. That is the corruption part. Lying about evidence or charges, not following through with proper legal protocols, such as making someone aware of their rights uh, just to get the bad guy off the streets, this is known as noble cause corruption. In the context of criminal justice sentencing, judges often consider the suspect's level of risk to society uh, when setting their punishment, when making pretrial decisions uh, concerning detention. These decisions are made based on utilitarian perspectives. In a more general sense, the entire system of justice in the United States is built on utilitarian concepts. The belief that people seek pleasure and avoid pain and therefore must be deterred by a system of laws and coercive punishments, that is a utilitarian perspective. In criminology, uh, it's known as rational choice and deterrence theory. Again, if you want to know more, I've embedded uh, a couple of the philosophies this podcast for this particular module. Uh, the second one is the categorical trolley cars. So you can guess what uh, his example will be in the podcast. Ethical dilemmas, just to summarize here, involve situations where there is not a clear answer and where each option includes, and or I should say, where each option includes negative consequences. For those who subscribe to a deontological perspective in a situation, they presume that if it's wrong, it always has to be wrong. The categorical imperative universalizes the wrong and the actor can only be responsible for maintaining the categorical imperative in their action. They cannot control the consequences that unfold as a result. This contrasts itself with that utilitarian perspective which focuses on the consequences of action, believing that the ends can justify the means. Most criminal justice agents tend to be more utilitarian than deontological in their approach to ethical decision-making. However, care must be exercised in applying an ends-oriented approach that you do not resort to unethical means, especially to what we know as noble cause corruption. As the FSU Law Enforcement Academy core values demonstrates, we should commit ourselves to only using lawful means to achieve lawful ends.